3: in the all-new hyundai santa fe visit hyundaiusa.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details hyundai there's joy in every journey
4: so stanford steve coughlin who is big-time college uh, college football guy in particular at espn part of espn's game day with reese davis and kirk herb and desmond howard and the coach um, this year for the first time but it does uh, you know, gambling shows on ESPN, uh, and is really dialed. And I can't emphasize enough how dialed in and tied in he is to the college football community. Um, his show with Scott, the the you know Scott Sports Center, they just they know a lot of college coaches and college football coaches. Love the show and love those guys. So I always get a lot of stuff from Steve during the course of the year about players and stuff. And we have him on the show every once in a while. And I had him on the podcast yesterday because I wanted his thoughts on the quarterback, specifically Daniels and May. I also wanted his opinion, and you'll hear him give it, on Cliff Kingsbury because he knows Cliff well, and he knows what people in college football think of Cliff Kingsbury. But I just started off by asking him, give me your quarterback kind of rundown heading into the draft, you know, the rankings, his draft board as far as the quarterbacks in the draft.
5: Oh, um, well, Caleb, Drake, Jaden, to start, I'm still diving back into McCarthy. Um, and Bo Nix right now, I would have uh, McCarthy ahead of Nix. And then who am I missing? Penix Pan- Pan- um, Jr. Yes. Uh, Penix ahead of Nix.
4: All right. Well, if you haven't, I, I don't, the, the top three is what everybody's focused on. Do you think yep. that they're, like most people do, there's a big separation after the top three with whomever's next?
5: Uh, it depends on the fit, Kevin. It really does. Um, you know, when you start going up and down uh, this draft, what really stands out to me is the depth of offensive line play. Now, I'm not in the tier of saying these left tackles are as high as guys in the past, but when you start combination, you know, um, combining, your, you know, your plan and what you go about, I do think as as a lot of times. You look at a situation uh, where 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 a quarterback's going to fall, but he's going to the better team because of the draft order, right? The playoffs. Um, I thought it was really interesting uh, last year that the Lions knew they had their guy, but still had plenty to prove, and they took Hendon Hooker, yep. who I thought was a a, a valued commodity. Uh, now, as you start to see, you know the Mitch Trubisky's and the the guys that haven't had a lot of college experience, those those Gambles were taken on those guys at the top of drafts, and those guys are are going by the wayside. And now there's this this gauge of we want guys that have played plenty of snaps. And I've always been in favor of that. I I don't care, you know. The windows in this league are so short. I want a guy with experience that has played as much ball. So, um, you know, you're not going to find more experience than than Penix and Knicks. But those three guys at the top that I you know coming in and and, and basically, starting from day one, I, I think they have they have plenty of experience. Uh, I just, I mean, Daniels Daniels longevity in college is incredible. I mean, he beat Justin Herbert yeah, when when they exactly. were, you know, in in the, in the making for a playoff. So you, you fast forward to now, and you look at what he did, and Caleb also, and Bo, and, and Penix, and, and going about the transfer process and finding that situation and making the most of it. And that, that's what's really cool about this is there's plenty of investment from all six of these guys, and, and, and that's what's fascinating moving forward, knowing what kind of hot commodities they are.
4: It's interesting because, you know, the NBA draft, there's a different mindset, right? Oh, you don't want to draft anybody that's oh, God, 23 yeah, or 24 yeah. years old. Yeah. It actually drives me nuts because all I want is a really good player. You. But, you know, the 19-year-old, that you are projecting in a major way. And what you're saying, and we've seen that, look, Trey Lance may be – it's not just the level of college football he played at. It's the fact that he played very little college football at all, yep. you know. And, yeah. and so that's an interesting um, uh, way to look at it. And all three, it, look, all six of these guys have played a hell of a lot of college football, in part yeah. because we've also had kind of the COVID year, et cetera. But, I mean, Daniels, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, Daniels, five years, Nick's six, something like that. Um, You know, obviously, um, Caleb has been a big-time starter. May a starter since, you know, Hal graduated, et cetera. So your order is Caleb, May, and Jaden Daniels. So let's go yep. to, to go to a couple of hypotheticals. Well, let me start with this. Uh-huh. How much separation is there between Caleb and May and then May and Daniels in your mind? Not much. Okay.
5: Not much. I think it's evenly – the difference is even amongst the three. Um, you know, if you want for percentages on it, whatever you want to do. Um, here, here's here's why I I prefer May for the Commanders if we want to go right there. Yep. When I watched him in person on tape, the process of what North Carolina football has been. There's a. There's a comfort level and a not trying to hide anything that I really think is real. And what I mean by that is FC comes in this past year, defending Heisman Trophy winner, all the expectations in the world. Everybody knows their defense isn't going to be great. But it took a while. You know, we're trying, you know, to find ways to get in. Lincoln Riley shuts down interviews with players and, and doesn't allow access. And I'm like, you know, how, how do you do that when you have such a great player of, of that caliber to showcase your university and, and the, in the position you're in. And that, that just caught me, you know, by saying, and it goes back to the, to the, 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 the fingernail paint. And there's just a lot there where now it's going to be all vetted out. Like these, these teams are as proactive as they are. They've done their homework starting, you know, two years ago on these guys. So with Caleb, you know, None of his team is going to be in, in those personal meetings. How is he going to handle himself in that situation? That's what I want because, I mean, being a local guy, Kevin, I'm flying out every, every Friday or Thursday morning, and who do I see at the airport? It's all these high school parents that are going out to see their kids that are playing in college. I, I ran into numerous Gonzaga parents at the airports this, this season, and they're like just, oh, how about Caleb? How, they love Caleb, love him. Um, and I just thought that was really cool, but we never got to see that side of him. You know, you hear about his teammates. His teammates like him. So, like, that's a big plus. But on the other hand, with Drake May, it's, it's just Mac Brown. Come on in. What do you need? Do you want to sit down with, 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 with Drake May? Do you want to go do a feature with him? I mean, I think Marty Smith went over a Summer to, you know, to go fishing with him. You know, the, the, it was just a cool aspect. Like, I don't have anything else to hide here, and, and this is what you're going to get. And when it goes to on the field, I look at one thing that separates May from Daniels is looking what he had to work with. Like all that nonsense they had to go through with Walker, the receiver, and Drake just shows up and says, all right, we got to play SEC team to start the year. I'm going to do whatever I got to do. Whereas I'm not trying to take anything away from Daniel, but he's got three NFL receivers he's thrown to. He has a... An offensive line, then, when you talk to the guys that do the Joe Moore Award, they were right there. They were top three. So when you talk about the situation he was in, he was set up to succeed. North Carolina was based on their success on whatever Drake May could pull off. And to another essence, that's what USC was, too. And when you talk about these three guys, the best thing about them that we've seen guys you know, you go back to your Manziel and your Kyler Murray, but these guys are way more refined in in improvising. And when I look at that, you talk to guys that coach in college and NFL, they want the bigger guy. They know they're gonna get hit, and and you watch you watch LSU. I mean, I was at the Bama game. They, they 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 made it a point they were gonna hit him as much as they could, and you know, cheap shot, whatever it is, it, it gets called. He doesn't finish that game. Those kind of things stick in my head. And like I said. Now, I'm not taking anything away from him. He had the best season of a college football player. But when you stack all, I love what Drake May had to go through and what he brings to the table. And and just uh, I'm not hiding anything. And I look at Caleb as he needs some work to do in the pocket. But Drake May, to me, as a trustworthy pick, I would totally be fine with the commanders there.
4: So you talked about the availability of Drake May and the unavailability mm-hmm. of Caleb Williams during the off season and you know leading up to it, mm-hmm. but you didn't mention Daniels in terms of his availability and how easy and accessible he was. I mean, I'm I'm uh-huh. I'm not passing judgment on on whether or not these are even significantly important things in the larger scheme of it, <laughs> but I'm interested yeah. to know what what the situation with Jaden Daniels was
5: on deck they were they're totally fine okay. they, they knew he was the catalyst for that team sorry I didn't get to him that's okay rambling on because I wanted to try and get it but no I mean as as up front as I think what he had to face to Kevin at Arizona State is 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 so long ago that I think people forget I mean you got a coaching staff that's in turmoil you had some success in that first year I mean I go back to a a, a Mark D'Antonio team that's top, I think they're top ten. They go out to Arizona State early in the year, they lose to Jane Daniels. Uh and Herm Edwards got that thing cranked up and and then you see what happens off the field and, and, and that that coaching staff goes by the wayside. He's looking for a better opportunity. And, you know, Brian Kelly out of the out of the out of the blue, you know, takes the L S U job and, and what do we have here? We got one of the best offenses in the world. So I, I look at Jaden as being um a lot more ahead of the game. Than people give him credit for, uh, you know, just knowing what it takes to succeed. You know, having, you know, his lumps at the beginning of the twenty-two season, and then fighting all the way back and, and getting this team to the SEC title. Game. I mean, look where that team started the season, uh, you know, with the with the um, the missed extra, blocked extra point against Florida State in right. the dome. That's a home game for LSU. That fan base is is as quick as anybody to show how unhappy they are, and what does he do? He goes out and he beats Bama in Baton Rouge on a Saturday night, and they go to the SEC title game like that. That's some real stuff that when you're looking at these guys, you got in the, you got to take in the accountability.
4: Yeah, you know, you you mentioned um, just the, the bigger challenge that May had. You know what's interesting is, is that all three of them, Caleb Williams, Jaden Daniels, and Drake May, All were totally responsible for the team's success Mm -hmm. because all three defenses were so god-awful. You know, they all three of them played on teams that were horrendous defensive teams. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe Carolina wasn't as bad this year as they were in previous years. They were not a good defense, Mm -hmm. though. And SC and and LSU had two of the worst defenses in the country. So they were they, mm-hmm. they were constantly the, – the games that were won were won by these players and the offensive side of the ball.
5: Yep. Yeah, and I go back – I mean, if you go back, watch the Clemson-Carolina game this year, Carolina gets some brutal calls down in the red zone. Uh, a fumble that was a touchdown went through the end zone. It gave them the ball. But I just looked at the, the approach of Drake May and saying, we're, we're not here to hang around in a game – he always had the mentality of of what what am I going to do to take the next step to succeed. I mean, there's 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 cut ups out there of, of him on fourth down when he's just um, I mean, first game of the year against South Carolina, just hanging in the pocket. No, he's responsible for the uh, you know the fourth linebacker week, and he takes the hit and throws a jump ball for a touchdown. Uh, the, you know, the, the, the fourth down, he he throws the ball left handed. Um, I I love what he brings to the table. He doesn't put. His guy is at risk, but he does take his risk. And, and and talk to that Carolina staff, they did have the conversation with him going back to the 22 uh, season. About, I mean, you go back to his first three games, he's hurtling guys, not getting out of bounds. I mean, he's got these little shoulder pads on. You don't want that guy taking extra hits. But I will say, I think Daniel's had it, and Caleb is as elusive as any of them. They still want to prove what they can get away with. And now that they, they, you know, it takes them a little bit. You you take, there's so much practice time that's not allowed because of the rules now that these guys want to see what they could do in a game situation. And is it taking a sack when when you're not supposed to? Yes, of course. Happened multiple times to all of these guys. Um, But I I still love the wherewithal and the mindset of these guys, as I say, compared to guys that haven't played a lot of football.
4: So let's get to um, Washington at two and go with the assumption, so we can focus on May and Daniels. And you've already made the case for May, but I want to get into it in more yeah. detail. That Caleb Williams is gone. That Chicago is going to move on from Justin Fields in the next week or two. That you know that's kind of a reading of the tea leave situation, uh, leaves a situation yeah. right now, and that you know, they're not going to trade the pick. If they move on from Justin Fields, they're taking a quarterback at one, and let's just assume it's Caleb Williams. So here's Washington with Adam Mm -hmm. Peters. Um, By the way, that just reminds me to ask you about Kingsbury here. Um, I didn't have that on my list, but Mm -hmm. I'll add it. Uh, But they've got the choice of May and Daniels. Um, maybe the best way to ask you, because you, you said at the beginning, is it depends on where they land. You know Cliff Kingsbury. You know his offenses. You probably have a sense of what they're going to try to do here in Washington. So which of the two would be the best fit for Cliff Kingsbury?
5: Oh, that's a, that's a great question. I, I don't think it matters, Kevin. I, I, I know they're going to have their choice, and they might be in a a tougher predicament than the Bears because, like, think about it now, right? If the Combine starts Monday. We already have this narrative of Fields unfollowing, you know, on social media, right. the Bears. So, like, there's already this distaste, right? Like, that's – I mean, Scott gets mad at me all the time about, about you know, what the narrative is. That's a narrative. Like, that's going to be the first thing brought up in meetings and everybody talking at Indianapolis in the Combine is, all right, Fields is done. Like, that. That that's going to be the assumption that's made. So now with Washington, I think you've got to be even more certain, you know, if guys have a feeling in the building, they got to be careful because you never know what can, what, what can open up. I mean, the, the way and how tight everything is kept, you've got to figure that there's teams that are going to have a preference between May and Daniels. And does it matter? Um, you know, do you get something dropping from two to three? I, I don't know the logistics of that. I know there's the charts out there and all that. But going back to Kingsbury, I, I think he is. You know, he gets lumped in. You know, um, I, I'm trying to think. You know, you're Johnny Manziel, uh, you're your, your little guy running around quarterback,
4: Connor uh, Murray. And then
5: on the other hand, you have yeah, you, you have the Mahomes uh, deal, and you know they have the Mayfield riff, and, and when he cut, when he left, um, he left Tech to go to uh, Oklahoma. So. I think he doesn't get enough credit for how good of a quarterback coach he is and a football mind he is. You know, he's got he's got the swag. He's got the good looks. He's got all that stuff, and everybody loves to talk about that. But, like, you go back, and, you know, I watched the hard knocks last year when he was still in charge of the Cardinals. Like, that was the depressing in-season hard knocks I've ever seen. The like, guys are just going by the way. I mean, it, seriously, like, the team meetings, it's – And there was, oh, he's got to be more fiery. These guys know, like, the playoffs are out of the ranks. You lost your quarterback. You don't know if your best, you know, you're facing your franchise. Uh, J.J. Watt's going to be there. Or Buda Baker's out. Like, that is as brutal a situation and brutal, uh, you know, um, uh, a hand of cards to be dealt. And I don't judge him on that. I I judge him on what I know and what I've I've talked to him. Uh, You know, he's from – you know the West Coast, elite, you know played for Leach, and then you got Holgerson under there. Like those, those guys are free spirit, and the, and the best thing about them is how how short term their memory is. You know they they are they're, they're not afraid to face a loss, and they know what they got to do. They're the first guys in the tape room to figure out what the problem is, and and they fix it. And a lot of times you don't have the players to fix it, but as far as the plan goes and what you want, I, I have the most utmost. Uh, confidence in Cliff Kingsbury having a plan and adapting to what he has. Go, I mean, you mentioned some of the names. He never had a good offensive line, it feels like, and he's probably not going to have a great one in in Washington in year one. But what do you do about that? You know, do you, do you have multiple three step drops? Do you have a guy that could roll out? Do you you know you have you have receivers that could get open in the quick game? And, and and how does that affect your run game and your protection plan? Those guys are as good as it gets when it comes to acclimating to what they have and still figuring out how to move the ball and keep your defense off the field, which I still think goes back to the most important thing in the NFL. And and, and I believe that Cliff Kingsbury has that. Um, and I would think just because of the stature, I, I think May has more of the pro build.
4: So you've answered the question about Cliff Kingsbury. And I, I know that you feel this way because we've talked about it, but you love the hire.
5: Yes, absolutely love it. Um, like i said as far as a plan yeah. i i don't uh I, I just think when you look at what Rivero is up against and then you bring a name like the enemy in I, I i don't see that and and you see how hands-on dan Quinn's always been in the defense you see him up in the box for the Cowboys as the D.C. and as vested as he is as a DC i think he made that higher knowing he has full confidence. And Cliff Karringsbury, who's been an NFL head coach, been a big-time college head coach, saying, all right, when I need to put my onus and put my book in for the defense, because, uh, you know, that's, that's the saying that comes around with him, that, you know, that when he went to Dallas, they, they rebuilt the book of how they want to do things defensively. And that's going to take time, and you know the investment that it takes. But now, on the other side, while I'm doing that, I have a former head coach that knows what it takes to be successful in this league, and that's that. That's why I absolutely love
4: it. All right. So May and Daniels, back to them. On May, yep. you've made the case as to why. Why? Why wouldn't you do May? What concerns you about May, if anything?
5: Um. Oh.
4: If the answer's nothing, I, it's nothing.
5: Yes. No. It's it, it's it's not a lot. I I, I do wonder. About those risk-taking uh, deals, but like I said, all three of these top guys have it. They, they've all made decisions where they shouldn't have, and it's it cost their teams. But again, the owner—I think that's the toughest thing. Your situation is going to change. You're not necessarily going to be asked to win a game the first four weeks in the NFL. You know, you, you're going to have different ways to go about things, and you—you know—they're going to try and put more on your plate. So I just think the idea of going in the next play. Is, is the biggest eye-opener for these three guys. They've all shown how much they can extend plays, keep drives alive, and I just wonder at this level how much you still can get away with that. And, and that, that's the one thing I think across the board with those top three guys, and that's it. The, the, the ability to figure out I don't have to be elusive and I can throw the ball away and lift it the next down, I don't have to get the first down here. I can go out of bounds and live to the next play. That those those are the things that that because it happens that much faster at this level. And, and
4: they're and they're, it's, they're it's all the three. Toughest. They're all three in yeah. terms of their strengths, off schedule, creativity, and trying to buy time. They're they're great at it. And
5: and and but yeah, I mean and Caleb probably is is in his own tier with accuracy on the run. But Drake May's not gonna like I'm dying. To see what May and Daniels run if they run at the forty, I'm worried they're not going to run it. That's that's what I want to see because I was asked the, asked the question like, who can separate themselves between May and Daniels at the combine? And I said I don't know because I don't know what they're going to do. They are going to wow the heck out of people throwing the football. But when you start talk about you know your your verticals as for a quarterback and your speed and your and your shuttles as a quarterback, that's the stuff that's fascinating to me. And that's the thing that all these guys will blow away, but I don't think they have to do it because of the situation that they're in and they'll be able to do whatever they want at their pro day.
4: That's really interesting. I haven't thought about what they would do and what they won't, what they'll do and not do at the combine next week. But I'm just curious. If they ran the 40, what would Daniels run? Would he run 4-3? I don't
5: know. 4-3 is bad. And listen – I go back and watch that Florida game from time to time. I mean, when he goes down the sideline, it's, it's incredible. And the, and the guy behind, I was watching it last night, actually. The guy behind him is trying like heck. And, and Jalen pulls up, is going probably 75% the last 15 yards. You yeah. still can't get him down. Um, I would say in the four, four, and I, I want to see May. I think May could break four, six. Yeah. I, I really do.
4: That was Stanford Steve from my podcast. There's a lot more on Daniels, May, and McCarthy as well. I asked him why um, people are enamored with McCarthy. He had a pretty good reason uh, on that if you want to catch it uh, on my podcast. By the way, that is next week. I wonder what these quarterbacks are going to do. Do you think any of them will run, Denton?
0: I'm not sure about running but we know Penix is going to throw which I was surprised with. I wasn't anticipating that he How was How many going of
4: to them throw. are going to throw?
0: Uh he's the only one that I've seen for sure that will so
4: throw. So this is all about the interviews, being there to be interviewed.
0: That's all it's that's all it's become. Yeah. And yeah, measurements, yeah.
4: Yeah. Um I think it would be interesting to see uh Williams, Daniels and uh and May run 40s. Uh, they don't have to. It's it's irrelevant really. But I I wouldn't be surprised if Daniels posted a four three something. And by the way, like like Steve said, May can move too. Um, I don't know if Caleb's just got blinding speed. I think he's just got great you know vision and wiggle uh, in the open uh, field. Going to be an interesting combine next week. There will be a lot of news coming out of next week. Uh, in Indianapolis. All right. uh, Jeff Ehrman is going to join us at 1235-1240. We'll do some Denton news next.
0: Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
1: Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game.
4: Hitting the news you might have missed. It's Denton's Daily News. All right, Denton, before we get to your news, um, Tim Murray, my good friend who was at this station for years and is working out at uh, Visa out in Vegas, um, he was listening to our conversation from yesterday about the college football playoff, the 5 plus 7, and he, he made the point, he said, and he's a Notre Dame guy, he said, Notre Dame actually pushed for a lot of this. Um, they'd rather be uh, – avoid a conference title game that could eliminate them but be the five seed because they weren't one of the guaranteed four seeds because they won a conference tur- uh, championship game and face Liberty in a 5-12 game. Well, uh, okay um, – That's fine, but that's not really the example we were talking about. The example that I was talking about in in thinking that not reseeding based on resume once you have qualification. So your qualification is five league winners, automatics, seven at-larges. And then once you get to 12, you seed for the most competitive tournament and playoff format. You seed based on profile, resume, one through twelve. If the team that just lost the SEC title game, you know, Georgia to Bama, is still, resume-wise, with one loss, the second or third best team in the country, then they're seeded second or third. Because here's the problem. If you get Iowa State as a three-loss team beating, let's just say, Kansas State in the Big 12 championship game, and now they're a four-seed as a three-loss team when they actually should be like a nine or a ten-seed – it is not only overly fair to them, it is very, uh, it's, it's unfair uh, to, um, well, the Notre Dame example makes it unfair to the four seed, right? You know, if Notre Dame's the five seed and they should be the two or the one seed, it's not only fair, it's not only overly fair for the four seed, it ends up being unfair because they've got to face the five seed. I just think for the most competitive tournament across the board, you reseed. That's what the NCAA tournament does. They take the sixty-eight teams, they let them qualify in all of these different ways. You know, you include all the smaller tournaments in the automatics, but then you seed one to sixty-eight, and you know they do the S curve thing. Um, But that's how you do it. That's not how the NCAA playoff is going to do it in year one. And by the way, they're already talking about a 14-team playoff by 2026.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, don't hold too much to the solution that you're coming up with because it's going to (laughs) get thrown away in two years.
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, doing it that way um, means, you know, the only way to do a tournament with 14 teams is to have a first four so 10, 11 through fourteen would have to play in the first weekend, and then you're down to eight. You know now you're now you're I'm sorry now you're down to twelve, and you have to go that start the process that they're going to do next year. But you'll have an extra weekend. It just feels with so fourteen long. teams.
0: It feels unnecessary and long. And I looked at so they did like a, I saw a draft of what the. The matchups would have been and it's like you see a rematch of Penn State and Ohio State a game that wasn't even close and it's not like Penn State's offense finally clicked in the final few weeks of the season so that goes back to your point if you have to reseed it if you do this to avoid matchups that we've already seen that might have been lopsided because you're gonna get lopsided matchups in this way of doing it
4: yeah you are um all right what do you got news wise
0: all right, so I, well, we were going to start with the college football playoff, but since you went there already, I do want to give fans an update on the, the status of Mike Sellers' GoFundMe. While we were talking yesterday, Kevin, I think of their 100,000 goal, they were sitting around 34 or 35,000. As I pull it up now, they've raised $85,000 to assist Mike Sellers with a couple of procedures that are going to need to be done on his heart. And include and one of the donators is uh, Joe Gibbs, who donated $10,000 to the Sellers family.
4: So this is very nice, Um, far be it for me me to spend anybody else's money, Uh, but actually, I think the team should just finish it off. I mean, maybe the team should have come in with the most significant donation to begin with. You know, you're in the mode right now of reaching out, marketing your team, trying to be You know, Mike Sellers was actually a very well liked player, not only by his teammates and coaches, but by the fans. Now, I guess that opens up Pandora's box to a certain degree. And somebody might push back and say, well, that, you know, if we do it with Mike Sellers, that means we got to do it with everybody moving forward whenever there's a GoFundMe with any sort of tie to the franchise. I guess I just talked myself out of that, but I was thinking when I saw it, um, when you mentioned that you were going to mention this in the news and update it, I was just like, maybe the team. I'll tell you, you know what? Dan Snyder should finish it
0: off. (laughs) Well, so I'm looking at the GoFundMe right now. I'm not exceptionally familiar with GoFundMe and how it works, but it was a goal of $100,000 yesterday, and now the goal is raised to $175,000, so... I don't know if that's like a GoFundMe, oh, we are so close to the goal, we'll just move it a little bit, or if that was a family saying, hey, it's actually going to cost a lot more.
4: Yeah. Yeah, I see it. I, I just pulled it up. $175,000 is the goal now. They've got they've raised $85,485. Joe Gibbs is the top donation at $10,000. And um, one of the
0: Martins uh, gave $1,000. I think it was Mayhew.
4: Okay. Well, the most important thing is I hope Mike Sellers gets all the help he can get and he gets healthy. That's the most important thing. But yeah. but when you mentioned it to me, I'm like, you know, maybe this is one of those things where the team just comes in and tops it off and ends this thing. And just, you know, it's great PR, um, but maybe it is sort of a opening up Pandora's box for everybody else. But, but then again, you know, he played for Dan. Um, and Dan just pocketed, you know, 3.8 billion net or 4.3 billion
0: net off the sale yeah.
4: whatever it was all right what else do you have
0: all right uh, this is a final thing for you we do have a birthday to celebrate not for a person a lot of hockey talk on the show today but a happy 44 year old birthday to one of the greatest speeches ever herb brooks's great moments born from great opportunities speech turns 44 years old today
4: that's what we're here for tonight boys Let's go get them. I forget the rest of it, but we've certainly seen the beginning of that many times uh, in arenas all over America. Um, what a night, You know, still probably considered to be a top three sporting moment of the 20th century, the 1980 miracle on ice. Maryland pulled off a nice little miracle, although they were in the running all, all along. But they just signed yesterday, Maryland basketball did, a five-star, six-foot, nine-inch player uh, that has the Maryland basketball community buzzing. Uh, Jeff Ehrman will join us next. Kevin Sheehan of the Team 980 and the theteam980.com.
3: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
4: Heavy on Maryland basketball this week, certainly in the wake of Lefty's passing. By the way, I had John Lucas on my podcast yesterday, and he was just a, an absolute gem with the stories he told about his days uh, playing for Lefty. By the way, what a life John Lucas has had. I mean, he played in the NBA. He was the number one pick in the draft. He coached in the NBA. He's been a front office executive in the NBA. Period of time. Um, uh, with addiction issues. I think I've told this story before, but when we had our studios out at Redskins Park, um, uh, Tommy and I were doing the show, the radio show one day and there was a break and I walked outside of the studio and I walked out to get some fresh air and in the parking lot, walking towards the front door, jizzle. He had taken Jamarcus Russell under his wing because Russell had a lot of issues, if you recall, and he was bringing him in for a workout and a visit with, at the time, I think it was the Shanahan coaching staff. But I grabbed Lucas and I said, if you've got any time to sit down with us, I'd love to have you on the show. He came in, uh, he said, I got 10 minutes and like 30 minutes later, we were still talking and he's a character and what 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 an incredible life he's had, so... Uh, it was worth uh, the conversation yesterday for him. And if you want to check it out, you can check it out on my podcast. Joining us right now, courtesy of our BetQL guest hotline, uh, Bet Smarter, Beat the Books, uh, BetQL, uh, is Jeff Ehrman. Jeff uh, has been. Covering Maryland sports forever. He writes for insidemdsports.com. You can follow Jeff on X on Twitter at Jeff underscore Ehrman. And the reason for having Jeff on isn't to talk about this 14 and 13 season, 6 and 10 in the Big Ten, but to talk about what Maryland got yesterday. Uh, this was major news in the Maryland basketball community. They inked a five star player, Derek Queen, Derek Queen from Baltimore. Um and this is a six foot nine, six foot 10 inch versatile big. and Jeff's on to tell us the significance of this. So, you know, obviously I follow you and we chat. and I'm not big into recruiting like some of my friends, like Van Pelt's so into it, as you know. <laughs> um, but what was what was the thought here down the stretch? Because I kept hearing maybe, but that Indiana might pull it off at the end.
6: Yeah, you know, Kevin, it was—you know—I think it was Maryland for much of the recruitment. Uh, There were a few brief windows where things looked a little shaky. Indiana, I think, did make a little bit of a run, and obviously, he was expected to commit to Maryland early on in the early signing period. So whenever when that didn't happen, everyone who's also seen all of these failed five-star recruitments over the years immediately and understandably assumed that he was not coming. Uh, but, you know, I, I had them in the favorite all along. I think, you know, there was some talk about Kansas, but I don't think he wanted to go there because partly Hunter Dickinson could come back for another year if he takes the COVID year. Houston fell out of it uh, a couple months ago, I think. And so, you know, Maryland was the expected outcome, and it's a huge get. You know, he's the second. We we had an article up on the site uh he's the second highest rated commitment for Maryland of the modern recruiting era was diamond stone one diamond stone's in the top 5 i believe number 1 is the man who was the number 2 recruiting uh number 2 shooting guard behind lebron james mike jones mike jones
4: so it doesn't a good tur-
6: player but it doesn't always
4: yeah he, he was a good player, phenomenal shooter, and actually, yeah. you know, another example of just Gary, you know, because I don't think we thought he could play in those first two years and then he was very yeah. effective. You know, DJ Strawberry, Mike Jones, some of those guys Gary just got the, the most out of year in and year out. But um, so I actually didn't know this. I was saying yesterday when I brought it up that Queen would be their second five-star guy uh, or would be the first five-star guy since Diamond Stone sticks was a five-star
6: yeah he sure was I think he was number 15 overall okay
4: um and then Deshaun Harris-Smith was just a a high a high four-star right
6: well he was uh he was a like top 50 top 40 kid until late in the recruiting cycle and then he jumped up all the way up to uh number 25 I believe it was so he Got really close to five-star range at the end, but uh, yeah, he was he was top
4: 30. Okay, before we find out what you think about Queen and the type of game he has, Queen number 10 on ESPN's 100 for the 2024 recruiting cycle. Uh, Maryland has signed one other player. Just tell me real quickly about him, the class so far, and what's to come.
6: Well, first off, Kevin, I'm going to require you to use 24/7 Sports Rankings, not ESPN. You, <laughs> my ben fault. Paul's got enough stuff. What, what, Where was, was he, he on the 24/7 working working rankings? Favor, my fault. Though, that was my bad. No, I'm I'm joking. I'm, you don't have to help. Uh, <laughs> I know, but, but I'd but, rather you know, use your rankings. I'm kidding. I'm absolutely kidding. Uh, no, I think uh, so. The other commitment is Malachi Palmer. Uh, he's a shooting guard from Mount Zion Academy, about 20 minutes. Uh, from Maryland, from the campus, you know he's not a he's not a blue chip, can't miss guy like Queen by any stretch. But you know he's a, he's a solid uh, mid range scorer, really athletic, six five kid, tough. You know can create some offense for you. Um, you know I think we have him twenty four seven. Has him at uh, number one twenty four in the country. So you know he's a guy that's got upside, but not a guy who you can really you know as we've learned this year count on uh, to produce as a freshman.
4: So what else is in the in the pipeline in terms of recruiting before we even talk about the portal?
6: Yeah, I mean I think it really is just the portal at this point unless uh you see unless a new name pops up that they've been doing a great job of keeping a secret or unless someone decommits from another school who they really want and maybe have a connection with. I think it's pretty much all focused on the portal, you know, you need to get several players, I would say three, roughly, you know, you need a, obviously a point guard to replace Jameer Young. You need a sh- at least one or two shooters and a forward with Dante Scott leaving. So there are several pressing needs.
4: All right. where Before we get to that and, and get to Queen in specifics, um, with Queen, where does Maryland rank 24-7's, you know, uh, class rankings right now?
6: Class is still only number thirty-nine because you know basketball class rankings are not nearly as valuable uh, or you know as telling as football class rankings. When you have twenty-five per school, then you're really seeing what kind of talent it is. Uh, but with basketball, you know Maryland's number thirty-nine. I'm sure half the schools ahead of them have like four commitments, so the, the numbers really slant it uh, to where it's it's hard to be you know it's hard to really look too much at that, but. You know, I think it, we now factor in transfers into the recruiting rankings, so if they do well in the transfer portal, it could be a really good class. But, you know, they need – as you watch and as anybody who's watched this whole season, they need uh, offensive help for sure. Yeah, they do. All right, so tell everybody
4: what Marilyn got in Derek Queen.
6: Yeah, he's, uh, he's a really skilled big man. He's not one of these crazy run and jump guys, you know, the Chris Wilcox style – um but he's more of kind of not to say he's on the same level but stylistically uh he's he's got kind of a Jokic game really good passer for a big man can grab a rebound take it down the court uh, and start the fast break very skilled in the post tough uh really smart player and you know he's not unathletic he, you know he he'll throw down on your head if he's given the opportunity he's just not that's just not the strength to his game so you know, he's not a guy who's going to shoot threes. That's not part of his game right now. So it'll be interesting to see how they, you know, pair him with Julian Reese, how that works, who's playing where, uh, things like that, who's guarding who. But you know, overall, he's clearly one of the best big man, big men that the, that Maryland has signed in the past several decades as a prospect.
4: How do you see him and Juju playing together? You know, by the way, I'm assuming Julian's coming back, right?
6: I would think so. You know, you really never know these days, obviously, with the portal and NIL and basically free agency. If someone who's poised to maybe win a championship with you as the missing piece throws a ton of money at you, you never know. But as of right now, from everything I've gathered, uh, you know, I think I have a pretty, pretty good handle on his situation is he's likely to be back. I think he will. So how do, but, those, uh, two, terms how together, do those two yeah, play so, together? That's I mean, you the got question two- I've asked. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've asked some sources over there. They kind of just coy about it right now. You know, um, obviously their focus has been on the season, so they're not having meetings. To I mean, it, it's been discussed, but you know, that's the question because neither one of them are face-up guys. I think you know, in a perfect world, you probably see Juju move out a little more to the perimeter because. I do think he has the potential to do that. He has a soft jumper. He can handle the ball a little bit. Obviously, he'd need to make big strides there. But if if he has those NBA aspirations, which he does, at some point, you're going to have to show some of that face-up game. So it could work in that way. But at the same time, Queen, I think, also considers himself, you know, a skilled guy uh, who's not going to be standing under the basket at all times. So that's going to be really interesting to see how they work that.
4: Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that. We're talking to Jeff Erman. Um, I think Juju has – it's not reflected at the free throw line, but I actually think his jumper is not that yeah. bad of a stroke, which is odd to say when you watch his free throw stroke, which actually has improved here yeah. um, recently. Look, they um, – I want to talk real quickly while I have you here. It's it's exciting for Maryland basketball fans to get Derrick Queen. This was a big get, and if they hadn't gotten him, there would have been literally not much momentum at all heading into next year. And they need some positive forward momentum because this is going to be one of the worst regular season records they've had in a long time. Um, I'm talking about with you know the same coach for for an entire season, discounting the season from two years ago with Danny Manning. I have enjoyed watching them compete every night. And I people roll their eyes at that. This is one of the better defensive teams we've ever had. And they've been so close. I don't think if you look, if you're not watching and you see their record, you're like, oh, Maryland's terrible. They're not terrible. They're not they're offensively limited. That is a hundred percent true. But, Jeff, they've been so close so many times. What's what's your overall feel on, on this season right now that's going to end without the NCAA tournament?
6: Yeah, it's funny you say that, Kevin. I've tweeted that a bunch of times about how, you know, these guys keep fighting, and I feel like it probably looks like I'm trying to just, you know, spread sunshine, but it really is true. You don't see a lot of teams that are having this kind of disappointing season at this stage continue to just scrap as hard as they do every single game so there's no you know it, it it is unusual and you know so there's no question uh for all the other questions about you know how he built the roster and such there's no question about his motivational skills but you know i think the biggest thing is just that the shooting has been so bad that you know no matter how good how well you play defense the three pointer is just increasingly important every single year and Half these games look like three-point shooting contests. If you can't shoot it and they are really forged, I mean, last in the Big Ten, one of the worst among all the power conference teams in the country, Uh, that kills you. And then I also think late in games, you know, Jameer Young hasn't been able to to really keep it going in some of those spots. And, you know, I wouldn't blame him fully for that because I'm sure fatigue is a factor when you're – playing as many minutes as him and and racing around the court like he does and have that much pressure on you to score, you know, it wouldn't be surprising if he's tired in some of those late-game spots. So, you know, it really just all comes down to lack of offensive firepower in the close games, which I think there's something like – 1-7 one and seven, in games decided by five one or less eight now. or something I along think those 1-8, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. I, look, I, I'm
4: not sure we've seen a better one, a back and forth than we saw with him at Northwestern with Boo Booey. That was as unbelievable in the last few minutes. I mean, and and what he did at Iowa. So he hasn't he hasn't failed all the time at the end. I actually have said this, Jeff. We both. Are very familiar with the greatest individual seasons in Maryland basketball history, and there have been lots of them. And I'm not putting them up there with a Juan or a Gravis or a Walt or some of the great Albert King's junior year. But this is an impressive season. He is really good, and I don't think I realized it even last year how good he is. And it's a shame because as good as they are defensively, to have a point guard that can score and can play like he does, if they had won some of these games and were in contention, they would have been a tough first weekend out.
6: Yeah, I mean his his season is up there statistically. You know, he's putting up huge numbers. Uh the catch obviously is that they're not winning and, you know, people rightfully are going to factor that into where they rank players' performances and that sucks for him, you know, because he'll have a great legacy at Maryland. He came back. He's from the area. You know, he stuck around this year when there were a lot of other opportunities. And there was, you know, it was uncertain how the team would be this year. Uh, but, you know, people just tend to forget about the teams yeah, that didn't do. do much or, you know, that struggled. So that that's going to hurt him. But either way, he's had an, an incredible career.
4: Got to run. Thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. Hope you're well. Absolutely. Thanks, Kevin. Jeff underscore Ehrman, everybody. That's it. Thanks to him. Uh, Thanks to Ben Raby. Thanks to Stanford Steve. Back tomorrow. Chris Russell next.
3: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe.